Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel with Greatness Consulting, and I am so thrilled today to welcome Michelle and Jan Turkelson to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome. Hi, Gretchen. <laughs> it's really wonderful to have you both. And I've been on a mission since moving to Australia in 2018 to seek out people that are doing the best work around great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. And I was so excited to meet Michelle and Jan and learn more about their, their work. But I always like to start with, how did you all get started and I should point out that Michelle and Jan are twins. How did you get started in working with teams and helping teams figure out how to perform? Well, actually, Gretchen, Jan and I, I suppose, are the ultimate team. <laughs> We've been working as a team from the, you know, from the very early days. And we are interested in people we are interested in how people come together we've we've always had a passion for sports and um just working in groups we would much rather work in a group than work on our own so that really plays to our personality strengths and we realized a long time ago that most of the work in organizations is done through teams and that's when we started to think, okay, so given we also have an interest in personality um, preferences and how people think and communicate and gather information, how does this all work together? And so that began our interest in helping teams, you know, work more effectively develop that sense of trust which we know all teams you know in our experience anyway it's a, it's a foundational element and um and then we've just been on that journey ever since haven't we Jan? We have and the thing that I love about teams is that it's such a great leverage point mm. so even though you have individual contributors who have certain strengths when you combine them um, it is so much more powerful, impactful, and fun <laughs> when yeah. you're working together. <laughs> yeah. It, I love it, Jan, that you mentioned the and fun part because it is much more fun to work on an effective team. When I, when I talk to teams and they've finished a project, a construction project or something, the ultimate litmus test to me is would we do this all over again together? Mm. And <laughs> I love asking that question at the end. And that's one of the the indicators that we have found with highly effective teams is that people say that it is fun to be a part of and they actually look forward to work. And it's not necessarily that it's less challenging. There are still the challenges, the issues, the obstacles. However, there is this sense of, you know, collaboration, teamwork and having fun together mm. in amongst that. Yeah. And that's a good point, Jen. And in terms of so fun for some types isn't about, you know, the joviality and, you know, lots of dynamism happening in the team. It is about it's joyful for them and it could be in the challenge in working on, on really complex issues and that's what sort of gets their juices flowing and that is definitely an element that runs through no matter what sort of personality type you have. There's right. a sense of joy. 
Yeah, that sense of joy. And it is so unique to each person, what motivates them, what mm. excites them, what makes them passionate. So how do you start out with a team? So, you know, you're you're engaged to work with a team. What does the beginning of that journey look like for you? Exactly what you just mentioned is to understand the profiling or the personality of each member of the team because once you can understand what drives people, what motivates them, then you've got opportunities to actually leverage those points. So obviously there are there are two ways. There is through the people and then there is through the actual issue itself. So you have to do a lot of fact gathering and data gathering. You don't want opinions. It really is about the data and facts. And then it's about the people. So there's always a two-pronged approach when we go into a team. Wouldn't you say, Michelle? Oh, without a doubt. Mm. Uh, And, you know, when you understand your own personality profile, the thing is that actually gives them um, something in their toolkit that they can take from team to team. They can take it home with them, that that greater understanding of who they are and totally agree we we have a look at that personality the other thing that we then have a look at Gretchen is so what what is the stage of development of this team? Now, Tuckman talks about forming storming. Jan and I over the years have developed our approach to this. And, you know, if you imagine a, um, a curve and at the bottom you've got, it's almost the bottom layer, which is the team is challenged, moving up to coping, then to managing and then to high performing. And what we try and do, and what we also have an indicator, but it is very easy for people to pinpoint where they are on that continue, on that stage of development, aren't they, Jan? Whether mm. and if they're challenged, they're usually very volatile or or toxic, even. And even within those bands, there are degrees um, in terms of challenge, coping, managing. You know, at the higher echelons of managing, it can look like they are performing really well. However. What we do find is that with high performance, it's sustainable and, you know, it doesn't, you know, rest on uh, the the leader itself in order for it to achieve really good results. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was um, talking to someone on another podcast recently about using Tuckman's model and walking into an executive team at a, at a major airline and just really starting there. And I drew it on the board and said, where are you? Kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> tell me where you are in this. And it was like, wow, we've never really let our hair down and talked about this. But you have to be able to have those real conversations as a team about where are we today? That's right. And in order to have those real conversations, you need to be able to have a sense of safety. Mm-hmm. And with safety, comes conversations that are built on trust and then trust you can actually then extend but if you don't have a good foundation then it's going to stay challenged toxic and really hard work so you're going to be quite vulnerable in the team Mm. and that would be the next level there is to actually find out what is the level of safety and trust in the team Mm. and we noticed that there are some really core behaviors when we start observing teams in action. So when we come and observe 
a team meeting or a team day where we actually run activities, we can get a sense of the level of trust because it's the level of uh, discussion but also challenge. When someone has a difference of opinion, is it challenged and how is it challenged? Is it, you know, challenged um, constructively? Do they hit below the belt? Uh, and there's some really key indicators to see where there is that level of trust. And if there's also a sense of ownership around um, mistakes and responsibility. So when people start to offload and not um, have that capacity to own a mistake, then there is not a level of trust and safety in the team. Yeah, I was going to say, Jen, that the other thing that we, we do notice is the degree of vulnerability and it's and it seems to start with the leader. So if the leader can open that sort of that wedge to being vulnerable and it being okay, whether you like it or not, the leader does set the tone a lot for how the team is going to operate. And when they can open themselves up to being vulnerable and it being okay, then the team has permission to do that. And we can see. Mm. And, and what we've found, Gretchen, is a lot of leaders know this because there's mm. a lot of research, there's a lot of information that is out there. What I think is missing is so how do I authentically yeah. demonstrate or show my vulnerability? What is a process that I can put in our operating rhythm that we can have those conversations? So, for example, I'm coaching someone at the moment. Um, who's in a team that they've found that there's high levels of mistrust, there is, um, you know, conversations or or three-way conversations that don't include other people that that they're talking about. That's what they call three-way conversations. And we just introduced the idea of a Wednesday check-in when before they start the meeting, they just do a check-in. And a check-in is how are you feeling or what do you appreciate or on a level of one to five, what are your energy levels? So they might just ask with one of those questions. And he, and he rang me today and said, oh, my God, Jen, I just can't believe it. It just opened up the conversation about are you okay and even two days later so he rang me today and did it a couple of days ago and he said two days later people are still coming up asking me am I okay checking in on on each other just because they introduced that wow that that's such an amazing story and I just I just jotted down wouldn't it be great if we could go to the gym and learn vulnerability and learn psychological safety I mean we're not trained We're not trained to understand these concepts. So do you think most teams kind of inherently know where they are on the scale of psychological safety and trust? Oh, without without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, you uh, Sometimes it's framed in, well, the, the question, but without a doubt, even if we were just to draw that um, continuum, they would could easily plot their, their team and how they feel about the team. And there is, um, you know, a fair degree of alignment, wouldn't you say, Jan? Mm. Definitely. But between members, when they plot themselves, the, where, where there is a discrepancy, it might be in the leader. Mm. <laughs> so the leader will rate the team in a more, maybe some type, well, yeah, a more favourable position than the than the team members, which says something um, also. Yeah. And that where there is that discrepancy. Well, and do you think part of that is optimism that the team is <laughs> at a higher level and, oh, my gosh, if they're not, I really don't know what to do? Absolutely, because, you know, the onus and the responsibility for shifting that is on the people leader, 
you know, herself or himself. So, yes, I think there is that bias. However, over time, where we're trying to um, encourage our teams to move towards is that it's not just the leader's responsibility. Yes, that they do have positional power and they might have access to resources, et cetera, et cetera. However, high-performing teams don't just wait for the team leader to call out that red flag behaviour. Everyone is a leader in a high-performing team. Yeah, and also not making where they are wrong. Like Mm. things happen Mm. and perhaps, you know, we're not in the best possible position but we're here now and are we, you know, do we want to sign up for something different? You know, Mm. you you don't want to linger a long time in the past. I think, you know, it's really important to be very present-focused and also future-focused, being realistic and optimistic. And I think, you know, this is where the leader can really demonstrate that optimistic language. Yes. I I often say the leader is the chief cheerleader of of the team. (laughs) And if your leader is not optimistic, it's it can be challenging, but but Edgar Schein, I use his uh, latest book, Humble, Humble Leadership, in my course at the University of Denver. He he said that to me in a recent podcast that we're spending too much time focusing on the the leader, the formal leader, when leadership yeah. is an action, and leadership happens mm. at many different places within a team and an organization. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and in order to be self-led, there are certain elements that you need. You need a, a certain level of awareness. You need to mm-hmm. understand the impact that you have on others. You have to have a sense of direction and clarity around what it is that you're moving towards. And when people have role clarity, have a level of self-awareness, understand the impact that they have on others, then you can really lead effectively, like be self-led. Mm-hmm. So, I find um, literally I was I was being interviewed for another course this morning and we were talking about this, that it's that time for self-reflection, that time to sit back and reflect on ourselves, on who we are, who we're developing as leaders, on how the team is performing. And, and we get so caught up in the tasks of the day, the, mm. the emails and must get this done and sitting in this meeting. I find that leaders are really challenged with how to carve that time out to be, to be self-aware and to think strategically about their team. Yeah, Jan and I have this other model. We love models. And if you think about three interlinking circles and one is the the who, the what and the how, and the who is about who am I being and want to be in terms of this leadership. And unless you prioritise your time, because we all have, you know, the same amount of time, unless we carve out some time to do this reflective work, because that is leadership, that is part mm. of the leadership work, is whether it's journaling or, or having time with with a coach or a mentor, uh, then you hamstrung really as a leader. It, it is such an important um, uh, element to, to be reflective in some way. Mm. Yeah, we talk about defending that time. Mm. You know, you actually have to defend it mm. because there's always going to be things that are going to impact it. But if you can influence yourself to create the space to reflect, then you can be an impactful leader. Because if you can't influence yourself to change your behaviour, how are you going to influence other people mm. as a leader to do that? So it's very important to do that. Wow, that's such a great that's such a great statement right there. I've, I've started something with my clients where I have them draw a circle and put however many hours a week they work at the top. 
and then divide into three buckets. The time they spend as a subject matter expert. I work with a lot of engineering firms. So the time you're actually an engineer, the time you spend managing, which is that creating order out of chaos, you know, budgets and resourcing. And then that Mm. time you spend in leadership, which is vision Mm. and motivation, et cetera. I have them draw what they think it currently looks like. And then I have them say, what do you think it should look like? (laughs) And what do you think I get as as an answer to that? Well, I can imagine the leadership is, yeah, minuscule. (laughs) Yeah, and that they they recognize that they need to be spending more time in leadership across the board. And so that's what that conversation turns into is, well, how do we protect that time and Mm. value that time and really think about, what it means to lead to the act of leadership. So I'm yeah. completely on board with that. Yeah, and Gretchen, we, we do a similar thing. We call we call it a diary audit where we get people just to sort of audit their diary over a course of a week or two weeks and bucket where they are spending their time. And there is something about looking at where, you know, these meetings and, you know, they rate the importance of them and there are lots of ways that you can cut and dice this. And it, there's something about looking at how they have spent their last two weeks and the impact that has had that then they start to think, wow, I really need to change things up and put more time into this bucket called leadership. Mm-hmm. And that everybody on the team needs to do that. Retired mm-hmm. Major General Simone Wilkie and I have become friends here in Canberra, and she's come in and guest lectured in my leadership courses at the Australian National University a couple of times. And she stresses that. What does it mean to be a mate, like a teammate? What does it mean mm-hmm. to show up on a team? You can't just punt it all to the leader and say it's their responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, I think that require, and again, a lot of investment goes into, um, you know, people who lead people. So the, the leaders We're, and absolutely that, that is definitely worthwhile. However, is there enough investment in what it means to be a team member or, mm-hmm. you know, a leader within a team? And I don't think that there is enough, um, you know, investment in training and development in that aspect, because we need to lift everybody, not just the people uh, seen to be the leaders of people. I I agree 100%. So what are a couple of other nuggets when you, I love that you talk about data and collecting data. And and I tell my students that they need to be brutally honest with themselves and how they collect information about who they're showing up as, Mm. um, as a leader. But what are a couple of other nuggets as you've worked with teams over the last many years um, that are great tips for our listeners. Okay, I would say one is around feedback. We've heard that statement, you know, feedback is a breakfast of champions and the the opportunity and the challenge of feedback is that most people want to be accepted for who they are. However, most people also want to grow and that's on the it's, it's at either end of the stick when, you, when you're looking for feedback. And so when we can get into a rhythm of asking for feedback, not just receiving feedback, but we own our own feedback. And this is the paradigm shift that, mm. that we encourage members of teams to participate in is that when you can own your own feedback, when you can actually ask someone for feedback, be really clear and specific about the type of feedback that you want from them, then you're more likely to actually receive it in a way that you can do something about it as opposed to the leader just giving you feedback or someone else just giving you feedback. Start to actually own that 
that and and lead yourself into asking for feedback and doing something with it. So that would be definitely one opportunity that I would really encourage people to do. And, and the other one for me is clarity. What we see happening all the time, it leads to, you know, lack of trust, poor processes, um, is is this lack of clarity in terms of so what is it, what is expected of me what is expected of us not only in terms of task but in terms of behaviors and what we have found is that people who are moving into leadership roles are very clear about what it is that they need to achieve but the ones that move fastest early are the ones who talk about, so what are the principles and the behaviours that we want to sign up for as a team? And if you could do anything as a leader, I would definitely have that conversation early. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I'm reviewed twice a year by the people that work for me. And one year they very clearly said to me that I'm not good enough at my explaining my expectations when I assign a project. And I took that leadership really to heart and, and tried, you know, over a year, how can I improve this um, to be very thoughtful and ask them at the end of conversations, you know, do you, do you understand what this project is? How are we going to check in throughout the project? Things like that. Mm. But we, we all have a tendency to assume that, a little bit of communication goes a long way and we, we need to understand that we need a lot of communication. <laughs> Absolutely, a lot and we need it to be consistent. And the quality of our communication is going to speed things up. So even though... So some people um, definitely have a skill in communicating and there is a certain advantage to that. But even if you don't have the skill of being particularly articulate, that's fine, just be consistent. So just check in. Yeah, and the other side of that is the listening, listening for their response to your communication because you may not be very articulate at, articulate at communicating what you want done, but you can listen and ask questions and that is that whole balancing act. And it all takes time. And that's the thing that I feel like people feel so stretched thin um, that they don't have the time. I, I share these podcasts um, with my students in pre-experience post-grad and MBA classes, both here in the U.S. So I'm somebody that is five to eight years into my career, and I aspire to be a great leader, which I actually ask people that. You know, it's it, not everybody mm. aspires to be a great teammate yeah. or a great leader, but mm. I aspire to that. What does my development path look like? How do I own my own development as a leader and a teammate? Stay curious. Without a doubt, unless you are, unless you keep yourself open, and that is reading, asking for feedback, looking for, um, you know, opportunities and learn, 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 that has been our experience. That's where we see, you know, the people who are reach those heights of success in terms of leadership. Yeah, and also set yourself some goals. Because otherwise it's very nebulous and it's, oh, yes, someday, someday it'll happen. Whereas if you can be um, reasonably specific about what it is that you want to be, the type of leader that you want to be, it may not be about the job that you want to go for, but what do you want to be able to contribute, what talents, gifts, the strengths that you have. And then it may fall into actually I want to 
um, go for that role and I want to impact people in this particular way. I think it's very important to be clear about the direction that you're heading and then make it tangible and then track your progress. Because when you track your progress, it actually creates mm-hmm. momentum and it energizes you to move forward. You know, because when you can set the intention, it actually kind of sets the course. But when you really focus, then it stabilizes the course and you're more likely to have a progress that you are um, energized by. And that's why having either a mentor, a coach Mm. or an accountability buddy Mm. is very helpful in that because we can sometimes convince ourselves of lots of things. (laughs) Having somebody help you do that, I have found to be really helpful for, for leaders. That's such great advice. So your website, peopleleaders.com.au. Again, that's peopleleaders.com.au. Jan and Michelle, I am so grateful to you both. As I said, working diligently here in Australia to seek out people that are doing the best work. And I hold your work with teams in the highest regard. And I'm very grateful to you for coming on Greatness today and sharing some wonderful tips with our listeners. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.